0: gut a deer with a dull knife. We all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro saw combo kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. We have a another kick-ass episode for you today, and once again, we're going to be joined by another, uh, I guess, uh, content contributor to the Sportsman's Nation. His name is Chad Riker of the Backcountry Rookies Podcast. Now, I'm going to fluff him up a little bit here because. If you have never listened to this podcast, The Backcountry Rookies, you need to. For one reason, and that is it will get you excited about at least start thinking or maybe put the period on the end of the sentence to get you to actually go on your first ever western hunt, uh, first ever elk or mule deer or pronghorn or, or just maybe... I guess convince you to get outside of your comfort zone and try something different right whether that's a turkey hunt a hog hunt javelina a, maybe a whitetail in a different state uh, this podcast has a way of doing it but the the whole focus of the Backcountry Rookies podcast is to do one thing and that is to fire ladies and gentlemen up about the 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 western backcountry hunts take a that take a little bit more planning than your average weekend uh at uh at the quote-unquote hunt camp so chad is uh really really good at what he does and i, I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode and if you give his a try i think you'll enjoy it too so other than that uh today we're going to talk about how uh you know chad's introduction into hunting we're gonna talk about him joining the military after september 11th we're gonna talk about uh you know what got what lit that spark finally for him to uh start um thinking about hunting the west and then with all that said uh what he you know what he uh thought about when he when it came to actually starting the backcountry rookies podcast and how we met and how i kind of twisted his arm into uh getting it all up and well i guess his arm was already twisted he just uh uh he just found the the sportsman's nation and and now this is his home and and now we are uh co-workers i guess you could say and it's uh it's a really fun experience being able to listen to all the content that he puts out so with all that said Awesome episode today, and uh, today we're going to be talking on the commercial here. I got to do a commercial. I got to pay the bills. We're going to be talking about Ozonics and Lone Wolf. Like for me, th- those two products really do go hand in hand. Uh, Ozonics, not only out of the field, right in my dry wash bag i am uh, soaking my clothes in the ozone before and after every hunt and it makes me feel invisible when i'm walking into the woods and then once i get into my tree stand i you know all i gotta do is screw the ozonics in and uh, have the quick connect the actual unit into the tree and the next thing i know all my all my downwind side is protected by the ozone and the ozone basically distorting my scent profile and it's, it's one of those products that yes i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and and pull your leg it is expensive but i swear it is worth it in the long run um i've been saved by that little device so many times and uh you know when a a doe comes back you know kind of backdoors me while i have a you know a shooter buck in the field or or coming up a draw and and uh, it's one of those products that uh, it just kind of it allows you more opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't get if you were, were getting busted out, and it allows you to hunt more aggressive. So um, I, I love that. If you want to find out more information, go go to ozonicshunting.com. And just to let everybody know here, uh, we do have a discount code NFC21. I believe yep nfc21 and that's going to get you a free dry wash bag with the purchase of uh, one of their units so uh, look into that and while i'm in the woods doing my running and gunning you know there's only one tree stand on my back and that is the lone wolf tree stands right lone wolf um lone wolf portable tree stands the assault and the four sticks hands down hands down is my go-to setup i can get in any tree that i want not just straight trees but any tree crooked tree trees with a lot of branches pine trees locust trees oak trees i mean you name it i can get it in there and this allows me to get in the right position not the best tree for my my tree stand a lot of tree stands on the market don't have that adjustability uh, so definitely take a look at lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and check out the uh, uh Ah, what am I trying to say here? Check out their uh, their lineup, right? They have the Assault, which I'm a big fan of. That's a smaller, that's a smaller stand. They have the Alpha, a bigger stand. They have climbers. They have sticks. They have a, a hunt ready system. And I'm telling you right now, it's uh, it's an awesome it's an awesome little gig. And the discount code there is 9FC21. 9FC21, and that's gonna save you. $50 off of all purchases over 200 bucks. So if you buy a tree stand, you're looking at right around a 20% savings. Uh, you buy a set of four sticks, and I think you're looking at 25% savings. So definitely take advantage of that when you want literally one of the best mobile tree stands in the game. So uh, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. All right, we've done the commercials. Now let's get into today's episode with my buddy, Chad Riker three two one all right on the phone with me today my sportsman's nation brother chad Riker. how are we doing man
1: i am doing very very good dan thanks for having me on the show
0: yeah absolutely uh are you a turkey guy
1: <laughs> you know what this will be my first year really hunting turkeys i've yeah. hunted them in the past um but i just don't i'm to say I'm a Turkey guy. No, yeah. I, to me, Turkey is more of a camp out and maybe go shoot something.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm only a Turkey guy during Turkey season. Like I don't, <laughs> I, Yeah, I don't go out and get all fired up and you know, like most of the time I'm just wearing like a pair of Carhartt pants and, uh, a brown jacket, walk into the woods, call them. If they come in, I shoot them. If they don't, then I, I don't, (laughs) but,
1: uh,
0: it can be be fun. It can be fun.
1: Yeah. We we'll see. So this year, my, my buddy, my partner in sportsman's and in the backcountry rookies, Jordan, he is a Turkey guy and he really enjoys Turkey hunting. So this year, He's going to come out and we're going to do the whole thing, the decoys and all the calls and setups. And we're going to try the whole thing and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. So you're,
0: yeah. you're living in New Mexico right now, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Albuquerque. Albuquerque. So um, down there, is it Rio's or Miriams?
1: I have no idea. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, fair I enough. couldn't even tell you. I just, I just know I'm going to shoot some turkeys. So no, I, I think it's Rio's up in the mountains. I'm, I I yeah. could be wrong. Somebody's probably going to text us both and say, you guys don't know what you're talking about, but um, yeah, I have no clue.
0: I did a podcast with um, the national wild Turkey Federation mm-hmm. and a biologist um, out of New, I th- I'm pretty sure it was New Mexico. They had a huge okay, cool. multi-million-dollar project that uh, they they helped with uh, between the the state of New Mexico and uh, the the Wild Turkey Federation. That um, like this whole mountainside, they did all this habitat work, and helped it and to help not only the turkey population. That was one of the big uh, factors, but all these other things. I mean, all the even all the way down to the fish in the stream. Uh, so I don't know how, wh- how close it is to where you're, where you're going to be, but they had a huge mm. project on it. Um, uh, something, de- it's a very interesting story. Um, a very interesting, uh, conservation project that those two organizations did. And, um, huh. and, and basically the Turkey population in that area kind of rebounded in the past couple of years.
1: That's great. I, yeah. and I think New Mexico does a pretty good job of managing their game and their, their wildlife here. Although this year we do have, and, and me, this, I say this year could be happening for years in the past, but I'm really introduced to it now because I just moved here. But we've had a couple of bills that are pushing through the government of New Mexico right now that are pretty anti hunter, anti, you know anti-hunting one of them has yeah. to do with trapping yeah and predators yep. and that one is actually on the governor's desk right now for her to sign it's already passed all the way through senate house and everything so um but it is good to hear that wildlife federation and, and you know turkey wildlife guys are getting out there and still it's yeah. still getting after it because if we don't then it's gonna obviously this government down here is gonna try to take away what we got
0: yeah man, mean th- th- this blows me away th- all these these things that they're trying to take away from good people right Mm -hmm. right um so you know i'm gonna play devil's advocate and what i'm about to say does not reflect my actual thought but i'm gonna try to put myself into the shoes of someone who thinks completely opposite of the way that I do just for a moment so I can have Uh some some kind of empathy into the way that some of these decisions are made um, and the way people think. So let's just say, for example, the second amendment argument, right? Yep. And all these people out there, well, geez, man, we got to take away guns, all the guns because they guns hurt people. That's all they see on the news, right? Guns hurt people and all, all this stuff. Sure. So I can see for a short period of time why, you know, just, myself in their shoes why that might be some kind of an issue right like they see the the pain and suffering that's caused by a gun and maybe you know whatever and then obviously here comes all the rebuttals their way but what i don't understand is every i'm talking almost you know there's obviously some dipshits out there but for the most part hunters trappers guys who run dogs um, cause that's another one of uh, bear hunting. Mm-hmm. Like these are all just good people trying to live their lives and they're doing sure. it in a, in a tradition or, um, a hobby or whatever you want to call it. That's been around since the founding of the nation and they've never hurt anybody or done anything, uh, to yep. the other side. And I don't understand why we are such a big attack when there's all these other problems that, you know, combined we could try to solve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's oftentimes, I think it's just an easy way to lobby through other stuff and it's, Mm -hmm. and other stuff. I, I use that very, very loosely because who knows what it is. Right. And I think that's what happened down here. This whole thing with the trapping, it literally started because someone's dog, their pet got caught in a trap. Oh Jesus. And instead of being on the side of man, maybe we should put pets on leashes when we're out in public lands, right? So that they don't possibly bite a person or do something, you know, something like that. It went to, okay, we got to get rid of all trapping. Right. And that's where it is now. You know, somebody's dog got trapped and now it's, it's all of it. There's a really good, uh, there's a, there's a organization out there called Blood Orange, uh, Blood Origins. And, he just did a really good video on this New Mexico trapping bill, bill talking about the why it's so ridiculous, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So New Mexico has been a good state for me to, to be in. I just need to get more familiar with the regs and policies and stuff down here. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's, uh, let's kind of go all the way back. Uh, I want to start the very beginning with you where, what What yep. state were you born in?
1: So I was born and raised in Indiana And lived there pretty much all the way through adult – well, into adult life. Yeah. You know, so I spent most of my days out there beating around the woods and goofing off in cornfields and trying to find trouble where I could. Yeah.
0: So did you come from a hunting family? I mean, your dad or brothers or uncles or whatever, were they hunters?
1: Yep. Yeah, everybody was – a little bit. They weren't, like, super – super hunters. Uh, my dad hunted raccoons a lot. He was a coon hunter, ran dogs. We always had coon dogs growing up. Um, kind of into deer hunting a little bit. My uncles were, were into deer hunting a little and fishing and just kind of outdoors. Everybody was always involved in the outdoors. You know, one of my uncles had a lake house and we would go to the lake house and go fishing and hang out on the boat and just kind of outdoors people.
0: Gotcha. So when it comes to, uh, you know, your, your youth in Indiana all the way up into, let's just, let's just say your twenties or whatever. Um, uh, were you serious about like, let's just say deer hunting at all, or was it just, it was kind of something to do?
1: Something to do. I did it with my dad when I first could get my license, you know, you get that youth license and my dad took me out deer hunting a few times. Um, I was never successful we small game hunted a lot squirrels and rabbits and that kind of stuff. And yeah. I always enjoyed it. I, my house, I had a big woods, um, that backed right up to the backyard. And, you know, back then you'd just let your kids run wild. So me and my brother would, yeah. we'd go play in the woods for hours and hours and hours yep. all day. If we could little couple of little 22 rifles, you know, and run around shooting squirrels and rabbits and things, yeah. but deer hunting, I, I never really got into deer hunting, as a kid um it was something i kind of started to get into it in my late teens but it it just never took priority there was other yeah at that time you're i was chasing girls and you know goofing off and just doing other teenage and 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 early 20s but yeah just doing what what kids do so yep so
0: so then after that like um you're a military guy so when did the military come into play how old were you
1: I was twenty four or twenty five when I joined the military. So I was going through the motions, life motions, you know. Yeah. I had graduated school and I tried college and, and did that for a little while. And then I had a I just started working a job and it was actually a really, really good job. it was a factory job, but it was it was it paid really well and I enjoyed it and had a good friend network. And September eleventh happened.
0: Ah, one of those and guys I
1: took. Yeah, I, I was totally one of those guys. So I, I worked nights at the time. And I remember September 11th, I woke up that morning, I see everything that was going on on the TV, you know, and watching the news. And later that day, I went to work. And halfway through that night, I took a half a day off of work. I went to the bar, drink like three or four beers. And went home, went to bed, and September 12th, I woke up and went to the recruiting station and joined. Just like so, that. Just like that. No question, no nothing. It was it it was something that was on my mind previous. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always thought, man, I wonder if this would work out for me or if it was my thing. And then September 11th happened and yeah. kind of sealed the deal. Yeah. Was that a – so, are you Army or Marine Corps? Army. Army. Yeah, okay. I did – yeah, retired from the army. Yeah, so that was obviously that was a long time ago. You know, September eleventh, two thousand one. Yeah, um, I retired medically. I had an injury that that put me that forced me into retirement at eighteen years. So I didn't quite finish my twenty years, but right, I uh, I did my eighteen, and I certainly earned every minute of those eighteen multiple deployments, back and forth, and Purple Heart. Got, been blown up a couple times just you know tore it up and yeah. it was time to time to hang it up so yeah
0: yeah i, I tell you yeah. what uh just lasting that long into it uh it, yeah you know, it takes balls to get blown up and go back <laughs> i mean you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. a lot of people yeah. myself included probably would have hung it up after the first time i got blown up you know what i mean
1: yeah oh so. yeah For, oh definitely yeah it rings your bell and and, yeah, so my first seven or eight years, I think, I don't remember dates exactly, but my first several years were combat arms and running and gunning and, you know, out there, out in the front lines doing all the, the fun stuff, really. That's when I look back at it. I had a yeah. blast. But, and then I got, uh, let's see, whatever, I mean, I ended up getting wounded pretty bad. And then I changed my job cause I knew I wasn't going to be able to sustain and what I was doing. Yeah. So I switched my job and went to something a little more, a little more desk related. And, and, uh, and I finished out my career that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, that sounds like what a lot of people do. Uh, you know, all the guys yeah. that, oh yeah. all the military guys that I've, I've talked to here, you know, on this, this podcast, they say the same thing. And, and then, um, so you join the, the military and, Uh, What was the outdoors like uh, in that seven years? In that first seven years, I mean, it sounded like you were deployed quite a bit. Um, You were, like you said, running and gunning. Were you doing any outdoor activities when you would come back to the States at all?
1: Um, I would. So I was in Germany. I was stationed in Germany for my first few years. So I was doing outdoor activities, but it was hiking and stuff. And I wasn't really you know when, when so i joined the army and there was when i got to germany there really wasn't it's there there's hunters there and it 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 goes on but it just wasn't a network of people that i was really involved with certainly in a foreign country to be able to figure all that out so i right. didn't all of it went on the back burner and i didn't really think twice about it but i spent a lot of time in the mountains hiking around and and just enjoying the european in nature, I guess. Yeah. And, and, um, and then I went to Hawaii after Germany and I got outdoors a lot in Hawaii, but again, it was still just hiking and, and spending time, you know, hiking to waterfalls out in the mountains and doing, doing cool stuff in the mountains. But again, I never got into hunting and I wish that I would have over there because there is some awesome hunting in Hawaii. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're not the yeah. first guy to say that I've oh got, I'm trying to think of a guy that I talked to, I would say in the past couple months, uh, he's military and he's stationed out in, um, uh, he was stationed out there in Hawaii and mm-hmm. he's like, man, I, it, it, I, I didn't catch the bug while I was out there, uh, but... Now I regret not going after what? Where they got the access deer out there?
1: Yeah, they got access deer, wild and goats, wild hogs. And, yeah, yeah, goats. Yeah, and, and those Hawaiian sheep. I did fish a lot when I was over there. We I got into spear fishing, and I spent a lot of time in the ocean. But I just didn't really hunt in the mountains. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah.
0: So after okay, so you go from Indiana to Germany to Hawaii. Where's your next step?
1: Um, so I got married in Hawaii, married my wife, and then I had to go through a bunch of training cause that's about the same time that I had, um, switched my job. So there was some training. I went to Georgia for several months to do some stuff. And then we ended up in Arizona. And again, I wasn't really into hunting there, but so this is where the bug kind of really started the big game yeah. hunting bug, if you will. And that came from... So my wife's family is big hunters. Um, and not really like Western-style hunters, but they're all from Texas. And my father-in-law is a ranch manager. So I would have opportunities to go out on these big Texas ranches and check out mule deer. And and there's elk and stuff down there in Texas, too, that a lot of people don't know about. There's a big herd. Um, Awdad sheep. Just all kinds of really cool animals. And that was where I started to get exposed to it was going out to the ranch and spending time on the ranch with my in-laws and just kind of seeing those opportunities there. And then that bug led me to ultimately, you know, it led me to, well, I can't always hunt in Texas because it's very, very expensive. Right. And it's mostly private land. So what other opportunities do I have at that point? And that led me to, I want to say it was a YouTube video of Randy Newberg and it was one of Randy's, um, public land advocate videos that he was doing where he talked about the opportunities on public land and that totally opened everything up for me at that point.
0: (laughs) Man, I, I, I don't know, uh, Randy Newberg has probably started more guys either from scratch, (laughs) Or yep. getting back interested in hunting that yeah. I know because I, I had some other guy from California. He was watching rap videos on his YouTube channel, yeah. and all of a sudden, yeah. here comes a random Randy Newberg video. He clicked on it, and the <laughs> next day, the guy went out and, and bought a bow and arrow, like just like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> well, so mine's, it, mine's pretty similar. So uh, I was actually at this time, I was deployed into central america i was running around down in there doing some cool stuff and uh one of my buddies said hey let's listen we were um we were a team down there and we had our own vehicle and stuff and we were cruising around and he says hey let's do you mind if i listen to this podcast and i i didn't even know what a podcast was and i was like sure dude you know whatever it beats whatever's on the radio and he puts in a podcast and i thought oh that's kind of interesting Well, the next day we're driving around again and he says, Hey, so you don't know what a podcast is. Um, Check this out. And it was a Joe Rogan podcast with Cameron Haynes. Yeah. And those two got to talking about hunting and and whatever. Okay. So that was interesting to me. I listened to it and you know, they're always Joe Rogan's pretty interesting guy. So I listened to that and that sort of put the idea in the back of my mind. And then The video came up, we were, we were in a hotel somewhere staying and uh, I was, so I like to shoot long range and that's how mine was. So I was watching long range shooting videos and Randy Newberg pops up randomly and I watched that. So here I have this introduction through this podcast and then this Randy Newberg video that explains how easy it is to do this Western style hunting stuff. And I thought, well, that's, that's something I got to try. Yeah. And I started, I started sort of planning right about that point for my first, would have been my first hunt. So, yeah. So
0: correct me if I'm wrong. Me and you were introduced to each other after you got back from Central America at that point, right?
1: Yep. So when I got back from Central America, um, I had decided I was going to start my own podcast. So by this time, I because I had so much time in a vehicle and I was able to listen to a bunch of podcasts and now I understood what a podcast was, I decided I wasn't really hearing the information that I wanted to hear on all of these other things I was listening to. And I thought, why put hours and hours and hours of all these other people's podcasts? I'll just start my own and I'll get my own questions answered, you know? Yep so i decided well you know right obviously yep um so i decided to, that's when i decided to start my own and i had put together i think before we were introduced i had recorded like four or five podcasts yeah and i called you to be a guest on my show and you were like hey man of course i'll be a guest on your show but Let's talk about the Sportsman's Nation podcast network yeah. because I like the idea of your backcountry rookies and I like all of that idea. So before I ever even had an episode out, I joined the the yeah. Sportsman's Nation before I even had an episode and then you started pushing them out from there. Yeah. So
0: yeah. I, I want to talk to you, you know, you mentioned it a little bit there, but I think there's something bigger here that you need to maybe discuss. And that is like the just the name alone makes, mm-hmm. makes your podcast relatable, right? Like yeah, backcountry rookies. Yeah. I am a backcountry rookie, right? Sure. I, I would say that you're still under that category of backcountry. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. And, and I don't know, like me living in Iowa, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of the, ba- the backcountry rookie category, right? I, mm-hmm. I think I'll be there for a while but what what's the what was the whole point of this why backcountry rookies and I know you mentioned you wanted to get some of your other questions answered but I think it goes a little deeper than that
1: oh, so, oh most definitely so very appropriately named podcast without even really knowing that at the time that I was appropriately naming it mm-hmm. um I knew that I didn't know what I was doing right and and I kicked around some ideas and I just came up with the the idea of Admitting that I didn't know anything about hunting elk or big mule deer out west or anything like that, which I think is is one of the things that makes us a little bit unique is that myself and Jordan and the rest of the guys we're not scared to say we don't know what we're doing. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that have no idea what they're doing, but they will. They're the expert no matter what. Fake it. Yep. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. I don't. That's never been my style. I didn't learn that way in the army. I failed so many times before I was successful that I don't mind saying that I've never done something before. And so we named it that. And then in the very beginning, I had a a guy that was kind of a partner with us, and unfortunately, our schedules and everything just didn't work out, um, and he wasn't able to stay on. But he he would always say, "Well, what happens in if which." Who knows if a podcast is even going to be around in 10 more years? But in 10 years, what happens then? Are we still do we change the name? And I said, Well, no, of course you don't change the name because it isn't really about us being backcountry rookies. It's about the guy that has that just watched his first Randy Newberg video right. on YouTube. Right. And that guy's the backcountry rookie. And if he wants to go back and sort through 170 episodes of podcasts and find the topics that he wants. Hopefully we can answer that guy's questions and we can help that guy. And that's what it was more about. And ultimately that that's how that name was, was developed. I, I, when I developed it, I thought about us and the other people too, that might need information. So,
0: all right. So there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast that, are interested in uh going west let's say
1: yep yeah
0: and and experience that backcountry hunt whether it's for antelope elk mule deer whatever game out west you want to go hunt Mm -hmm. bear um so talk to talk to me about your first experience and how you may be prepared for your first ever quote-unquote backcountry hunt
1: absolutely so uh it's that first backcountry hunt is probably i I won't say scary it's not a scary thing but it, it's a little bit intimidating right because there, there's a lot of people that have never especially from out east right there's a lot of people they may have climbed around in the appalachian mountains and they might have hunted some but there's some people that have never been into colorado or some of the big mountains and even experienced it so there's some intimidation there when you start thinking about hunting in the mountains. And then to to caveat on that too, there's, there's a lot of intimidation the first time that you drive up to those mountains and you actually, you look at them and you think, Oh my God, I got to climb these things. Yep. But, um, that, I think that first hunt you should be intimidated. And I, I just think that a lot of people, and I blame social media and YouTube and all these other avenues facets for this but people think that that they need to be successful in that first year oh yeah and I think so in that in that first couple of years I think success should never be on your mind and well I mean it should be but it shouldn't be for in the forefront of your mind. You need to be able to educate yourself on what to be prepared for and accept the fact that you may come home with empty coolers, And you're going to come home and you're going to be very, very tired and your legs are going to hurt bad because it's going to kick your butt real bad. Yeah. Yeah. But don't shy away from it either. Go out there and try it, you know? And if you try to climb that mountain and you get to 9,000 feet and you can't go any higher, well, guess where you're elk hunting? You're elk hunting at 9,000 feet and below. Yeah. And you just try your best to do what you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you this. um, On my... Couple, My first couple um, hunts, like backcountry hunts, um, I think the biggest thing for me, it wasn't necessarily the fear of going out and getting my butt kicked by the elements, you know. Uh, My first elk hunt ever was pretty much a major disaster as far as, like, I had a hole in my, like, I had a hole in my tent. It rained. I had to get off the mountain, go into town, buy a new tent. Um, I I prepared physically wrong for it. Um, I packed, like, way, like, the the wrong food in, in, you know, uh, it was, like, all cliff bars. So, it was like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: so it was just, like, a brick of food right? Yeah. You know, bricks of food. So it weighed a lot. And then from there, it was like, uh, then I just got my ass kicked physically. So I'll go back to the drawing board. And I think for me, the, the next times that I, the, the next couple times that I went, uh, elk hunting and even into my first mu- solo mule deer hunt was I, I had the, I had the physical conditioning better, you know, maybe not exactly, mm-hmm. but, uh, it was better than the previous time. That was a learning experience. But for me, mm-hmm. I was overwhelmed with the gear list. What do I bring versus yeah. what do I not need to bring? So I always go on the sh- side of caution and and bring mm-hmm. way more than I than I should just so yeah. just in case. So when it comes to like preparing and not knowing what to prepare for, like how did you
1: how did you handle that? So that that first year, I watched every video I could right, and I listened to every podcast I could that was about gear, and I bought everything that I could. Um, I, I used a lot of my military gear, so I was able to save some money, but I, I spent that, that first couple of years is expensive to elk hunt. I don't care how many people tell you, hey, I, I, I hunt to save money and feed my family. That ain't the case. That will never be the case. You're never gonna save money by <laughs> by hunting. It's right. just not gonna happen. Right. But um I went through all of the different gear and all the different gear lists and I bought all the stuff. And I will be a hundred percent honest with you. I don't use any of that gear anymore that I started with. Yeah. It's all been sold for likely for a loss. I've bought new stuff that works better, that works better for me. And I, I think the the point that I'm trying to make is if it's your first year, even if you're, you've never been before, but you're a hundred percent dedicated that you're going to go every year after this first year, don't go crazy on gear. You don't, you just don't need what you think you're going to need when you get there. Yeah. Um, solid Piranha stretch Zion pants for 60 bucks work great. Or even though you can buy Wrangler pants at, walmart that are quick drying and they're like 25 bucks and they do everything that some of these expensive camo brands are gonna do right and they work fantastic same thing with tops and base layers and I <laughs> one of these things that makes me laugh this is a quick tangent and then i'll come back but the it makes me laugh because this new new saying that i keep hearing people say is cotton kills right yeah and people are trying to get you to buy these Hundred to one hundred fifty dollar base layers when cotton doesn't kill. I wore cotton every day in the army and I never died. Yeah. And I put it through a lot worse conditions than what I would have in in any backcountry scenario. Right. But anyway, you you can get by with stuff uh, with stuff that you probably have in your closet. You can get by out there. Yeah. Especially if you're already a hunter. Yeah. But. Uh, another thing I tell people is, is don't overthink the gear list, get the basics, get the essentials and buy a cheap tent and camp from your truck Yeah, and then hunt out of your truck because you, you really will save a ton of money and you're going to learn a lot about yourself and how to use gear and the gear that you need by just doing day, day trips, um, you know, drive to a new area, hike in two or three miles bugle, Do your calls, do whatever it is that you're going to do, spend the whole day out there and then go back to your tent that night and get a good night's rest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think me and you are on the same page and I think we've discussed this on a, on a previous podcast about gear and, you know, you don't necessarily need to go crazy overboard, um, with it. Obviously there's some kind, there's some gear that, you know, may have some better functionality, maybe have some better performance uh, on it but if you're going for three days a year you don't need you don't need that kind of stuff no you know?
1: no not at all now f- so since I've moved out here I, I live here in Albuquerque and we have beautiful mountains right out right here right my wife and I were out hiking in them yesterday we got up to about 8500 feet and she goes everywhere I go and she's got on a pair of you know decent boots and t- Basically, she's not wearing all this hunting stuff, you know, and it's not all this overpriced hunting stuff. And she goes everywhere I go. Yeah. And it, it, she's got some good trekking poles that help her get up the hills. And she's got, like I said, decent boots and appropriate clothing and she's good to go.
0: Yeah. Now, what about, what about, uh, I mean, did you, for, for some of your very first ever um, backcountry hunts where maybe you were going to use a tent? Maybe you we're gonna hunt out of the back of your truck. Did you do any type of physical uh, preparation, like working out or anything?
1: I did. So the first, uh, again, I have to refer to a deployment. But the the first year that I was going to my first elk hunt, I actually ended up getting these last minute orders, and and again, I had to go to Central America for a second time. So I was trying to train while I was down there, but I was at very low elevation. So really all that I could do was put a backpack on and I, I had taken my boots with me and I would just get in some weighted hikes just to try to get, I knew if anything, like I wasn't going to be able to train for elevation, but if anything, I would have my body ready to carry a pack all yeah. day for long periods of time. Yeah. And I would go out and do, you know, I'd leave early in the morning and I'd go do five or six miles with a I, I, don't, I had various little um, weights that I would put in there, but 40 pounds or maybe 70 pounds or, or you know, I'd switch it up. Mm-hmm. So I did that for training. I also took my bow with me down there, which is pretty comical because I showed up onto this military base in the middle of Central America with there was a package waiting for me at this little tiny post office that they had. And it was a bow target and they didn't, they were like, what the heck is this thing, man? And here I am. And so I'm getting off the airplane in this country and I'm carrying around a bow case and an army duffel bag that's full <laughs> of gear and clothes. And it, it was pretty cool. So I ended up having to deal with like the base commander and to get all these approvals to be able to shoot my bow on the base. But I still took it with me. I made it work and I took that bow with me so I could train my, you know, I could shoot anytime I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how, how, how long were you down there in South America before? I mean, did you have time to get back and stay quote unquote stabilized before you went out onto your, uh, your hunt or was it right away?
1: It was right away. So I got home on, I want to say I got home like September 2nd or 3rd. And then we were supposed to leave on the sixth or twelfth or basically I had like a week to two weeks of being home. And that time that I was home, there was no, I spent every moment I had with my wife, you know, because I, I already felt bad enough because yeah. I was, had already been gone for, I want to say I was gone for about six months, maybe seven and no, uh, six months. It was right at six months. And I came home and she already knew, I mean, this is all pre-planned. It's not like I came home and said, Hey, got to go. I'm leaving for another week and a half, you know, but, uh, so I spent every moment I had and I was doing stuff around the house that hadn't been done in six months. And I was, we were going on little short trips and I was taking her out and we're doing all this stuff. So I, I didn't get a lot of additional training in. Oh, and then one thing I, I wanted to go back to, so to, to um speed up my training when i was deployed one thing that i did was i got involved in some of those i, I don't know though i don't remember the name of it but you hear a lot of them it's a fitness program that's designed around mountains like right m- mountain
0: or, tough or something like that
1: yeah yeah there you go mountain tough or i don't remember the name of all of them there's a whole bunch of them and i started doing one of those and i actually got injured in like July, I'd hurt my ankle pretty bad doing a bunch of jumpy things or something, burpees or something. And I hurt my ankle. And then I had to go about another month without training because I, I literally could hardly even stand when I was down there. So my train basically I think what I'm trying to say is I didn't really get a lot of training in except for some weighted pack hikes.
0: Okay. So then um yeah. so so just minor you know you didn't go into some kind of crazy fitness program for multiple months to to get no 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 no, okay um so and i
1: still don't do that i I still don't i don't i eat my dairy queen blizzards and i eat (laughs) those are dangerous for me
0: man those are dangerous like i'm an ice cream guy i'm an ice cream guy
1: my wife told me she wants to do we do these little monthly challenges one might be push-ups one might be sit-ups or something and she told me she wants to do no dairy april and i told her last night i said well i guess i'm going to dairy queen every day the rest of this week <laughs> <So> <laughs> i gotta get my blizzards in that's before right go no dairy right so um, um but yeah i don't i still work out i run every morning i get out i run or walk or i do some sort of forward motion for yeah. like four or five miles every morning And then any opportunity I get to get out in the mountains, I go hike. And that's really all. I I don't do a bunch of extra stuff. I just do normal stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, um, what about the first trip? You show up. And so, like, for me, the very first time I ever went elk hunting, gotten into the car in Iowa, drove 19 straight hours out to Idaho, Got out of the car, got my pack on, went straight up the hill, and I—I'll tell you, before I even got my the camp set up, I was wrecked, right? Like <laughs> you like, can
1: still see the truck.
0: <laughs> oh well, I mean no, I, I mean oh, I was the like truck.
1: I can't go any further. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I, no, I mean like physically, I was wrecked, yeah, like I know. I you that. know, like no acclimation time. And now what I do, what I do, whenever I go out to Colorado, I give myself at least twenty-four hours before I even. Go up and start to do any type of activity, and I'll tell you that that helps me, right? Um, and you know, uh-huh. I, I go oh my, for
1: sure, absolutely get out
0: there, go to my buddy's house. Uh, typically, we we find uh, uh, we show up late at night, like eight or nine o'clock, spend the night, go up to where we hunt out of. And then spend the night there, and then that next morning we're off to the races. So there's like this 24 yeah. hour, maybe even a little bit more period where the body's acclimated. I, you know, I'm somewhere around 7,000. Then we go up to about 10,000. Uh, then that's where our camp is, and then we, and then I'm ready to go at that point. Start yeah. know, drinking a lot of water, no more alcohol, all that stuff. Um, your first hunt, I mean, physically, did it? Did you struggle, or did you do all right?
1: I did. No, I struggled, but I think I think anybody sh- struggles a little bit reg- regardless of where you're where you're at yeah but we so I had a, a little bit better than than my buddy and I'll expand on that a little bit more too. I drove from San Antonio, which is San Antonio, Texas, which is like six or eight hundred feet above sea level. yeah my my uh, one of my hunting buddies was driving from Indiana, also about six or eight hundred feet above sea level. I drove straight through from San Antonio to Colorado and I got a hotel room, but when I got there, I went up in the mountains. I got up to about 8,000 feet, hiked around a little bit, went, spent the night in the hotel room, stayed at, you know, I was still at elevation and all of that. Well, that my, my friend didn't come in until the next day and he was, he ended up struggling pretty hard with that first hunt that we did. Yeah. He was in, he was in pretty bad shape and I was in, I I wasn't in, I wasn't too bad. Like I never had any issues with elevation. It was just, I mean, I guess the issues with elevation was just the lack of wind and sore legs and and all of that. But yeah, like I said, I don't care who you are. I still get that now when I hike here in the mountain, I live over a mile high and I still struggle when I go on the mountains. I still breathe heavy and yeah. You know, yeah, I think the best, yeah, th- but my friend, so my buddy, he, he really struggled and we, the the first day that we went, we, we were going in, we started at, I want to say our, the trailhead was about 8,000, maybe 8,500. I don't remember. And we hiked up, we got to 10,500 and that was, that was it. My friend totally shut down and was not going to go another foot higher and we actually he was kind of panicking a little bit and we ended up having to come off of the mountain we went all the way back down to bait to the trailhead loaded up the trucks and we ended up setting up a base camp down at the bottom and he ended up taking the following day off and yeah. he, me and another friend went high, we went hunting and our other buddy he had to stay down at base camp for that day cuz it it really affected him pretty badly yeah, And I, looking back, we, we've all, we all talked about it after the hunt and we said that might not have been the best way to approach that. Obviously we should have probably hunted around 9,000 feet for that first day. And then, you know, it increased our elevation because two, I think it was two days after he took that day off, we went to a different area. And by that time we were, we got to 11,000 feet and yeah. we didn't it really struggle. I mean, we didn't hike that far. We, we started at yeah. 9,500 and hiked up to 11, but he, we all did just fine. But yeah. by that time we had three or four days of that acclimation and, and it was much easier. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you what, that, that time for acclimation is big. If you're, if
1: you're It, it really me. is. Uh, so, yeah. so it really is.
0: So, you know, you have, you have these guests, on a podcast just like me and, and, um, me personally, I try to take something away from, uh, any guest that I I can, Mm -hmm. whether it's someone just like me who has a family and, um, and I guess when I say just like me, I mean, just like me before I was doing what I'm doing full time, right. When I was working those, Mm -hmm. you know, those 40 plus hour, you know, a week jobs and, and you have family and you have other responsibilities and whatnot. From all the guests that you've had on your podcast, in regards to a new backcountry hunter, backcountry rookie, what's some of the best advice that you've ever gotten from a guest or um, another hunter?
1: I think probably if probably communication. Yeah, and I, I and I say that I did. I actually just did on my channel. I did a whole podcast on it where it was it was just me talking about communicating with my wife and my hunting partners and that podcast, it wasn't just me coming up with random thoughts. It was stuff that I've learned through the podcast and through the last four years of, of being involved in this type of hunting. And it's, it, it, communication is absolutely important. And I, I sat down with my wife after the first of the year, right before I started applying for different tags around the West and we talked about when does she want to go on vacation? Basically, when can I fit different hunts into different places? And that gave me a better idea of how I was going to apply for different tags. And then it also really clearly communicates, especially when you do it early in the year, it really clearly communicates to your, to the spouse how much time you plan on being gone yeah. and the, the way that that hunt is going to go. And if you've never done any of that stuff before, some of that could be really, really difficult on a family. It can be yeah. very stressful. Um, I'm fortunate enough being the, being in the military and you, you hear how often I was deployed. My wife is used to it. So if I tell her I'm going to be gone for 10 days, she's like, okay, we'll just, Try not to die out there, right? (laughs) Like try not to fall down the mountain and kill yourself. But she's used to me being gone for two weeks. And sometimes I won't even have signal. And she's okay with that because we've done that. There's people that have never been away from their spouse overnight. Yeah. And then they're all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to be gone for 10 days. I don't know if I'm going to have cell phone signal. I'm going into the wild, right? The wild backcountry. And it might not be stressful to that hunter that's going out there, but that spouse on the back of their mind could be like, what the heck is going on here? Right. So I I really think that that communicating is, is really, really beneficial. And you can even, I, my wife doesn't really like podcasts. She certainly doesn't like to listen to me ramble on, on my own (laughs) podcast, but you could, if you could introduce them into the spouses, into some of those ideas through podcasts or watch this YouTube video with me or whatever, um, that kind of stuff helps too. Yeah. 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 But that's, it's huge. And then on the flip side of that, not just your spouse, but your hunting partners too, because if you're coming up with some wild game plan in your mind about how you're going to do this hunt and then your, your hunting partner may have something totally different in mind. You may be thinking that you're going to go 10 miles deep, you know, for 10 days and your hunting partner's like, no, I'm setting up a base camp and I got coolers full of beer and I got steaks every night Well, you're going to have trouble when you get to, when you get to the trailhead, there's going to be some like, we never talked about that kind of moments. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: one guy's thinking, Hey, we're going back. One guy's saying we're hunting from the truck. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I also don't just as a side note, I don't advise that first year. If you've never been out West, I I don't advise that 10 days back. Oh d- like, yeah. It, it's not going to work out. Yeah. You're never, you're not going to stay back there 10 days. It's just not going to happen. I, I'd like to recommend to people set up a base camp and take a little lightweight tent with you and go out for a day. And then come back to yeah. your t- or go out for one night and then come back to your tent and sleep good for a night and then go do two nights or something. Yeah. But don't try to do that 10 days if you've never done that before. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, man. Um, my first experience going uh, back in the back country, uh, I had a, another guy with me. Um, and uh, we, you know, we set up and, you know, we were like three miles away from the truck and we stayed, well, we, we stayed, we were planning to stay five nights, but we gave ourselves, you know, like, Hey, we're only three miles away. If, uh, we need to get back to the truck for extra supplies. Well, I based all of my, what I was taking in the next year, like this, this past year, um, when I went in October, I went a three and a half miles in this time, found a, a good place to, to camp, um, and there was lack of water. so mm-hmm. I knew that going in, but I didn't realize like how much water I actually consumed in a day you know I never really calculated it. and of course while I'm working out all day making moves you know running up the the hills and, and stuff and uh, I, I I planned for like four days back there by myself but eventually man I was having to um, uh, and then my and then my filter broke so I was having having to tab water um I carried water in with me but then I was having to chlorine tab water while I was uh-huh. out there and for those of you who've never drink it like that chlorine water does not taste like regular tap water it tastes like shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it very well could have shit right in right it, you know and you just don't even know right but I think just have a, at least having those tablets with you yeah. gave you an extra day or two before you could come out. And yeah. There's, there's times where people don't think about that kind of stuff yep. and then they're, they are 10 miles deep and then it's a, then it's a really, uh, a big deal. Uh Oh, kind of moment, man, where you're thinking I am out of water. I don't have access to water. I don't have any way to treat water if I even find it. And what am I going to do? Yep. So
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, anything else that you've kind of learned to do or not to do on some of these um, bigger hunts?
1: Um, to I move slow, that's something, a lot of times you will get that, you're, you're in your mapping software, right? You're trying to figure out where you're going to go and you got this perfect spot that you just know there's a herd of elk sitting there waiting on you and you hustle, hustle, hustle. And you, you know, you cover four or five miles as fast as you possibly can to get there. And you probably just passed five or six shooter bulls to get there. Um, it, that's happened to me multiple times where I got my head down, probably looking at my maps, trying to figure out where I'm going. And I look up and I see elk running away from me because I just spooked them out of there. Yeah. Um, if you just slow down and take your time and get there, the probability of seeing animals, it it's, it goes up, right? If you take your time, you look around, pull your binos out occasionally, look around, look under those trees, look through the trees, and you, you may see something that's much closer to the truck. And, it's, you know, try to stay kind of quiet, laughing and giggling as you're, you know, telling stories with your buddies as you're walking up the trailhead. It goes to the same thing. Just because you think you have a great spot on a map, doesn't mean there's not another great spot that you're walking past and if you're making a whole bunch of noise as you're walking past it you you could just blow everything out of there for the next few days
0: yeah so um any any examples of adversity that you've kind of had to go through in the field right obviously we we plan for both best and worst case scenarios, right? That's why we bring, uh, first aid kits or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff to actually gut or clean a deer or elk or whatever. You know, we, we plan for success and we plan for defeat. Um, any kind of adversity that you had to go through in the field, like obviously that example of your buddy basically going on lockdown, having to come off the mountain is, is a good one, but any other examples of, of you, Uh, like starting to struggle whether it's finding game or the physical side of it or you're running out of water or food and you're just like man we we better err on the side of caution and get out of here
1: so I think my best example of adversity is that one of with my with my friend and I and I've got a couple more stories that I'll tell too and they're all quick but I wanted to talk more about the one with with my buddy because that one was bad enough that it it took two of us to get him off of the mountain um there was three of us total and he basically he ended up to the point where we were carrying his pack and we were filtering water for him cuz he was out of water and he was really in a bad spot and it took it just it just took that extra couple of guys to get him there and so fortunately he was a prior military guy and he was out there with myself and, and another guy that, and that was military, also, and struggling to get off the mountains, not the worst thing that any of us had ever faced. So it wasn't like a really stressful situation. But I think if people have never been put in a situation like that, it, it really could have turned into a very serious thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, all we we just slowed down. He's taking off some layers, trying to cool off. And we just got him down to at least the bottom. And then we sat down and took a break, filtered water, got it cleaned out. We tried to get him some food, took all of that. Like I said, we took his pack off of him and we just got all that weight off of him. And then we took our time. Once we hit that level ground back to, you know, 8,000 or 8,500 feet, we really walked slow to get back out to the trucks and we took our time. So we didn't try to rush anything and we just dealt with that situation. Yeah. Um, Adversity with game. Man, sometimes it just happens. You just don't find game right until the last day. And it's funny that you say the last day. It's almost like saying, "Well, I found that thing that I lost in the last place that I left it." You know? Yep. It, the last day could be day 5 on a 10-day hunt if you shoot something, but it it really could happen where down to the the day the season closes. And if you give up 2 days before the season closes, you're really giving yourself you're you're quitting two days early you're going home two days early without maybe putting yourself into those opportunities so if you plan for 10 days you need to hunt for 10 days yeah you need to stay out there because those uh when we were in arizona my javelina that i shot that i shot that on the last evening of the last day yeah and then my two years ago i shot a coos deer in arizona and I shot that at 4 o'clock p.m. on my last hunt- my last day of hunting. I was going home. I was going back to camp and packing everything up, sleeping for the night and getting up as early as I could and leaving the next morning. And I shot it just before it started to get dark. So staying until that last minute just opens up additional – well, not really additional opportunity. It gives you every opportunity that yeah. you could possibly have to get something. Yeah. Man. And I think as it starts to grind down on that last day, I think people just start hunting harder and they start like, it becomes almost a I got to get it done kind of mentality. And, yeah. and I just think you spend more time, you look harder, you push harder, you walk farther. Right.
0: I'll tell you what, that's one yep. thing that I'm, I'm, I struggle with, especially when I'm by myself, you know, obviously when you're with another guy, um, there's a set schedule, right. And you know, mm-hmm. let's say one guy tags out. Obviously, the the next guy wants to try to tag out too. But with me, one yeah. thing that I I fall victim to is this. So, I I I say I'm going to be gone eight days. You know, a, a day of driving on the front, a day of driving on the back. So I have six six huntable days. And so I get out there, hunt, hunt, hunt. And then you start communicating. Like for me, I communicate with the wife. And the wife is like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it's, you know, kind of struggle here. You know, the kids are acting up. And the last, the last trip that I went on was a real struggle because my son actually told his teacher that the reason I'm going to be naughty is because my dad's not here. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> like yep. throw me under a bus. Yeah, yeah. So I started to feel a little guilty about not being home. And so I cut my, I, I cut my trip a day short and I was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I better get out of here and, and go. And I know that I needed to be out in the woods, but I felt like if I was, you know, I also needed to be at home too. So there's the sacrifice that I'm still learning how to balance, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, my will to be out and do these things and also my responsibility as a husband and father.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I absolutely. And it, it just t- to me, again, I'm, I'm really lucky because I've, I've been away from family multiple yeah. times and for long periods of times. So it isn't a thing for us, but I can totally understand how some guys are. I had, a I, we did a really great, uh, uh, one of my favorite podcasts I've done was with a guy named Jason holiday from, he's an Ohio guy. And Jason is one of those guys that's just, full of humility, right? He doesn't care about admitting when things have gone wrong for him. And that's one of the things that he talks about is not like, like he's never really been away from, from his, can you hear me, Dan? Sorry. I can. Okay. He's never really been away from his, his wife for long periods of time. Yeah. And I just think that, I mean, that can really, and and if you have kids and, you know, you start to add all that stuff in there, it really plays a, a role in that. Yeah yep absolutely that can be tough yeah absolutely and then one other thing about adversity that i'll bring up i think it's overlooked a lot of times is losing game the loss of game can destroy yeah a hunt and you have to stay in it and so this year i I talked about shooting that javelina in arizona well two days before i shot that javelina i had shot a mule deer and it was an okay. It wasn't a great shot. I won't even say it was okay. It was back a little bit and it hit that deer pretty hard. And I, I knew he was, he was hit. Um, but he was chasing a doe and whatever. The, the, I could go on and on about the story, but we ended up backing out because we knew if we kept pushing him, we were going to push this doe that he was running on. And when he put, when we pushed the doe, he was going with her. So we decided we were going to back out and hopefully they would stay in that area where we sh- where i shot him and we would be able to find him the next morning
0: well we went back
1: in the next morning and that deer was completely destroyed to coyotes 100 yeah. percent gone 100 even the rib meat between the ribs was was eaten out of that thing yeah and i could have hung it up right there right I tagged him. I mean, I I didn't just walk away from it and go try to shoot another deer. I tagged him. I shot my animal, and I lost my animal. And I knew that I killed that animal, so I tagged it. But I I think oftentimes that would really get people down, and I think it could ruin a hunt at that point. Yeah. But we we kind of understood what happened. We felt like we still – I still feel like we did the right thing by by backing out that night. And I had a tag in my pocket, and we continued – to try to fill that tag yeah and I, I just think that that's another thing that can bring a hunt down for sure yeah. i'll
0: tell you it, it it plays a huge impact on the the, menta- the mentality of a person because i not this past year but the year before uh i shot a mule deer and only got a single lung on him i th- i'm pretty sure it was a single lung hit and followed blood i was like he's dead he's dead he's dead and then you know Maybe I pushed him too hard. Maybe he wasn't hit as bad as I thought. Whatever. Spent the entire day, look, uh, evening looking for him. Spent the entire next day looking for him. Then a blizzard came in, and we were pretty much forced to back out. But it really mentally, it it kind of kicked me in the nuts, and I I was I was upset at myself for not getting the job done.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, but it happens. Yeah, it it, I mean it happens all the time. And here's I think I think I mentioned something about social media and YouTube and all these things in the beginning, but a lot of this stuff isn't told and these stories aren't told absolutely because they're not the the, the hundred and eighty class mule deer stories, and people aren't talking about that kind of stuff and I talked about it in detail on on the backcountry rookies podcast about just losing an animal I mean yep. there's there's there really was no way. Going going back to that story that I told, I, I think if we would have pushed those deer that night, we would have pushed him much further away, and the same thing would have happened. He would yeah. have died two miles or a mile from where we were at, mm-hmm. and then we would have had to track him all day the next day. Right. Or we could back out and let him die where he was at. But either way, those those coyotes were so hungry out there. Clearly they were hungry. Yeah. And they just came in and destroyed that thing. So it happens. Yes,
0: it does. Yes it does. Well I tell you what, Chad, we could sit here for another two hours and uh just run through (laughs) easily man i always
1: have a good time talking to you yeah
0: run run through it all but um you know if people want to find out more about backcountry rookies um what you're trying to preach over there uh, and the message you're trying to get across uh, um how do we find you
1: yep absolutely everything is backcountry rookies um we have an instagram account and we have a web page that we've update every now and then with our latest podcasts and stuff but you're better to just go to wherever you search for a podcast or wherever you listen to a podcast and and look for backcountry rookies or check us out on instagram yep we're on facebook too i don't do a lot of facebook stuff but oh we also have a really cool private group on facebook it's called the backcountry rookies nation yep and i think there's about five thousand people in there now so it's it's a pretty good group and that if I spend time on Facebook, it's usually on that page because we try to manage it. We try to keep all sales, any ad like it's just good conversation. Yeah. And anything that's not conversation, conversational, we try to remove it. We miss yeah. some stuff. There's probably some sales stuff in there. We miss some, but um, it's a good place to go, especially for questions. Guys that are new to new to uh, backcountry hunting or want to learn more. There's, ask your question. You're going to get a good answer. And if somebody's being an asshole on there, then we remove them from the page <laughs> and, and get, you know, we get rid of them. We just don't like the, the, the biased answer. Positive energy the, only. Know, yeah, that's the way we try to go with it over there. So it's a good spot.
0: Yep. Well, Chad, man, appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks uh, again. And oh, hey, real quick, man, what do you got going on this fall? Like, what what do you have oh. going on for hunts?
1: I have, I, I really can't answer that yet. I don't have my, the applications are in. I applied for Arizona and I didn't draw anything in Arizona. I, uh, I couldn't, mo- I couldn't draw deer because I shot that deer in January. So, um, likely next year I'll go back to Arizona again for the January hunt. I'm so. Supp- I will most likely draw an, a Colorado elk tag with a rifle, and a muzzleloader mule deer tag in New Mexico, but I don't know about my New Mexico elk or any of the other species yet. They they released the draw results April 28th. So until then, just kind of waiting to see what we get, but I'll be, I'll be out goofing around somewhere. Gotcha.
0: Well, Hey man, good luck in uh, this fall.
1: All right. Thanks Dan. Good luck to you too.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Chad. Do me a favor, go follow uh, him on social. Go follow the the podcast uh, Backcountry Rookie. Subscribe to that, or you could just subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Big Game uh, RSS feed. And uh, his podcasts come across all all of his podcasts come across that as well. Other than that, man, I think uh, we're good to go today. I'm going to keep the outro short. Please be good to your neighbor be kind send out the good vibes you're going to get good vibes back and i'm just going to say one thing it might be a uh a controversial statement but it is okay to think about hunting all the time i do it all the time i'm thinking about my western hunts my whitetail setups my access routes my trail trail camera strategy uh my my archery gear and equipment it is okay because there's a lot of other dumb shit that could be filling your mind at this point so uh man hopefully everybody has a a good rest of your week and we'll talk to you next week man